This hour is being brought to you by Cars for Kids. Call 1-877-CARS with a K, the number four, kids. Boots throws it to Caruso. Caruso throws the ball in the air. Ball game over. Bulls win. Bulls win. Bulls win. 117-115. And we got a dance in Motown. You playing against a team who's well coached, obviously, Dwayne Casey. Good group of young guys coming on a back-to-back. Any back-to-back against anybody is always tough. Obviously, you know, we wish we would have had the one yesterday. We came up short. We knew they was going to come in. They would they want to go just lay down and just die. You know, this is a team we got to put the rest. We got the ball to our superstars. They made plays. And, you know, I mean, we had a ton of assists. It was a fun-ass game today. Patrick Beverly talking about the Bulls' win. Perhaps could have gotten the ball to one particular superstar a little bit more, especially in the fourth quarter, considering that Zach had 36 points at the end of the third quarter and finished with 41 and only took one shot in the fourth quarter. Not great. Cody Westerling covers the Bulls for us here at The Score. He's been working in the lab here. It's nice enough to come and stop by. If you're just tuning in, you're like, wait, where's Dan? Dan right now is on his way to Bucknell University. He changed his flight so he wouldn't get caught in the snow and rain tomorrow. And he and young Jason are off for orientation at Bucknell. So I'm here with you until 2 o'clock, and Cody Westerland is here with me right now. What's up, sir? I'm glad you clarified that. I think uh, enough people know that Bernsey's driven mad by the Bulls that they thought the Bulls could have just forced him to leave the state for a day or the weekend. You well, know? I mean, he was frustrated with last night's win, which is, you know, it's still a win. It's still important that the Bulls get wins, but there was stuff inside that win that weren't great. You saw the game. What did you think? Well, Zach was amazing. You pointed out earlier, 14 to 20 shooting, only one of those shots in the fourth quarter. Uh, Again, the Pat Bev effect, I feel like you felt more last night from the Bulls when he has 10 assists, 10 rebounds to four steals. Like what you saw for the first three quarters of that Bulls win over the Pistons was kind of the blueprint of what they want to be. And I know the Pistons are one of the worst teams in the NBA. Bulls absolutely own them 14 in a row in the series against the Pistons. So that was no surprise. Zach always plays well against them. But just the style in which they operated with Bev kind of connecting a lot of the pieces, making sure the ball got shared. I think 20 assists in the first half, just an amazing number. So the way they were playing, you understood this is what they want to do. And I find it at least cool when Zach's kind of leading the way on that because that's why you pay him $215 million, And he has the ability to get hot and efficient in a way that no one else on this roster does, certainly not even DeMar DeRozan because of Zach's ability to shoot three-pointers and DeMar can't in the same way. So that's what you want to see. And then I'm sure we'll get into it here. The fourth quarter is everything you don't want to see. Um, but I, I did like what they did for three quarters. Like, that's the vision, no no doubt about it. How do they fall into isolation basketball in some of these situations, Cody? I mean, I think some of it's almost muscle memory with DeMar, right? He saved him so much last year. So I think that's part of it. And then Billy needs to take a lot of the criticism and blame there, right? Because he is the coach. You guys talked about it earlier. Um, He can force them into, he can be more direct with them for the Bulls to do what he wants them to do if he chooses, but he just hasn't, right? Like when they settle in with DeMar there, um, I think six straight possessions, basically ISO basketball with DeMar late in the game. And it just didn't change. Like that's the habit. And you understand it. Look, I've defended the decision earlier in the year to go with DeMar down the stretch over Zach 
uh, when DeMar was playing well and Zach wasn't playing as well. But last night, to me, is a different situation, right? Like, the team's in a little bit of a different situation here, too, with Patrick Beverly. Look, if you're going to bring him in and preaches intangibles and he's like, we got to have Zach Levine shoot more, like, maybe there's a little bit more of a new vibe on the team, too, to adjust some things. I felt like that was one of them. Certainly, the way Zach was playing, he deserved that more. So I think a lot of that has to go to Billy. And look, he did... As it was getting away from the Bulls in the fourth quarter, like he went to Alex Caruso about 50 seconds into the fourth quarter. He got kind of salty about a Pistons getting an open look at a three. He went back to Vooch just under the 10-minute mark earlier than usual a lot of times for him in the fourth quarter. Zach only sat four and a half minutes in the whole second half, which you look at that, that's basically a 39-minute pace. Sent him to the scores table earlier. So he made the adjustments like substitution-wise, let Patrick Williams almost finish the game, played a lot in crunch time. So he did that personnel choices, but the X's and O's, Billy did not take the next step. And it almost hurt him. It almost burned him. Like, I mean, DeMar got two free throws when he missed a shot in the lane and got the loose ball and got fouled. Like, those possessions could have been worse than they how they turned out. He just threw the ball to Zach Levine 35 feet from the hoop with six seconds on the shot clock. Zach creates something off the dribble, gets fouled, makes two free throws. Like, not just the output of the possessions not being as efficient as you wanted, but the floor was way lower. Like, they were hanging on barely on some of those possessions. The Bulls were late. Yeah, they were. And it was kind of surprising because that's the type of game that you're hoping to have from Zach. And I don't know if this is something that can be fixed by a player like Patrick Beverly, where he understands the flow of the game because he's in it. And he's like, let's get the ball to Zach Moore. Let's run more actions for him. It just seemed like a really simple, and I know that I know that it's harder than I'm making it out to be. I get that. But it seemed like such a simple fix, Cody, where the guy that's hot, if you're going to go into isolation basketball, go into isolation basketball with the guy that's hitting tough contested shots. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like Zach is better at beating anyone off the bounce than any other player on the Bulls, right? Like, if you're going one-on-one, Zach getting to the hoop, way better than DeMar at that. Like, DeMar's ability to draw fouls and get to the free throw line at a higher rate is because he's so crafty, so smart, gets people off balance, knows exactly what to do in the mid-range, and he gets fouled at the rim, too. But the way the Bulls were playing in that moment felt like it should have gone to Zach more, and there's no doubt, like, it, it's not rocket science, right? Like, People are like, you know, you don't understand X's and O's. We don't understand X's and O's nearly as well as the NBA players or the Bulls coaching staff. But you know what? We watched Zach Levine come off a a screen, a down screen on an empty side set in the second quarter and curl into the lane for a jumper. Like you can create actions like that. Look, maybe they double him and he has to give the ball up and it's the same result. But you've at least played through him in that moment and given him the choice. The guy who is your hottest player in the game at that time rather than something that was more predictable, right? Like the high post DeMar is almost like one four at times or just flank shooters out. It was pretty predictable time and again down the stretch in that game. And he got doubled a couple times and made the right pass to cycle it a little bit, but he has a tendency to hold on the ball too. So sometimes that's late in the shot clock, puts teammates in tough positions. If you go earlier with Zach, that's what it should have been like. So it just needs to be more of a balance, right? Because DeMar still needs the ball. He's still a great crunch time player for the Bulls since he's been here in Chicago. He needs his opportunities, but it doesn't have to be every possession. Cody Westerlin joining me here in studio as we talk about the Bulls on the Bernstein and Home Show. So now that you've had a chance to see Patrick Beverly with this, this roster of guys, what's your I- initial impression? I, I don't think 
he's going to uplift them in a meaningful way when you look at the result at the end of the season, right? Like, I think the Bulls at this rate, my prediction would be they creep into that 10 spot, get into the play-in, maybe 9 spot in the play-in or something if they play well down the stretch here. But it's still a really difficult situation to win two back-to-back playoff games. You saw the Raptors. Uh, I should say not playoff games, play-in games, back-to-back yeah. play-in games to get to the playoffs. We right. need to be clear about that. Um, you've been all over that one, certainly. But I just think back to the Patrick Beverly part, Like there is a little bit more organization within the offense, I feel like, early in games here. But teams are also leaving him open. Like You saw the Raptors left him wide open a few times, We're not, did not care whatsoever at all about his offensive ability. So... There's there's the downside there to that, no doubt, with Patrick Beverly as well. So it's still a tall task to me. Like you can't bring in someone who's known for their defense and leadership when you have a bad offense and expect your offense to spike in some meaningful way out of the twenty fourth most efficient offense in the NBA. But he can help them be a little bit better. And I think you see some of this too. Like it's been against the bad teams where he's helped them be a little bit better. The toughest one they probably had here lately was the Raptors, one of the best coach teams in the NBA, the Raptors with Nick Nurse. They sent a lot of doubles at DeMar. They gave Zach a lot of attention, tried to get the ball out of those guys' hands. They've done that a lot um, this year when they've played them. And then you're like, oh, that's a game you know everyone else really struggled. Well, that's just common sense in the NBA. It seems like the bad teams just can't do that as well. I want to know how you feel about the the Bulls' defensive efficiency because they've been one of the best, if we're looking at that as a statistic, since – the beginning of the year, they've been one of the best teams to do it. But in a game like last night, you go, yes, the defensive efficiency has been high. Or a game like the Raptors, and you say, well, rebounding matters. And, and offensive rebounding was the key to the win for the Raptors. And last night, allowing Detroit back into the game which what I thought happened because of some defensive lapses by them. I mean, it's really fascinating because the personnel, you would not think that the Bulls would be a top five, six defense in the NBA, which they've creeped up to that range now, um, efficiency-wise. But what they do really well is defensive rebound for most of the year. When it has gone wrong, it's gone wrong in spectacular fashion, like when the Raptors got them. It's like every time the Bulls have struggled to defensively rebound. It's been like, that's exactly why the other team won the game. It's so obvious. It's not like they've struggled to defensive rebound in these games and then get beat by like 22 and we're like just forgetting about it. Like, it's usually just front and center. So that has created, I think, some hysteria and frustration, but they've been a top two, three defensive rebounding team all year. So like, that's a foundation of their defense. The other thing too is we talk about the isolation balls frustrating on offense, right? But it does help people get back on defense a little bit more. It does help you be slightly lower turnovers. Like DeMar DeRozan working the shot clock down and shooters being sprayed out, right? Like if he shoots or kicks it, like they're usually pretty well balanced around him, can get back on defense. And then, I mean, it's just a lot of factors like that. The Bulls often also don't ever offensive rebound the ball. Like they're like the worst in the NBA at it. So everyone's just running back on defense. Like that's kind of a choice they've made though, right? So it's... To me, it's not like the Bulls are going to get in the playoffs and you're going to be like, yeah, top five defense against Giannis in a 1-8 matchup or something like that. And you're like, the Bulls, they'll be fine. You know, they're going to rely rock solid defense. No, it's like the Bucks are smarter, better. They have more options. They will still light the Bulls up, I would predict, in many ways in that hypothetical situation. But night to night in the NBA, when you're going over 82, when you're playing good teams, bad teams, teams on back-to-backs, Stars out, hurt, injured, resting, load management, whatever it is, 
then you start to see why that defense and those choices for the Bulls helps them a little bit more. So, like, I don't think they're a top-five talent in the NBA in defense, right? But, like, they've made some choices that they're more solid on that end and sacrificed in other ways. Cody Westland, our Bulls beat reporter, joining us here in studio to talk about this team that's won three out of four games. Am I being too cynical to wonder that the reason that Goran Dragic isn't here anymore had less to do with playing time and more to do with overall philosophy that he didn't like here? Yeah, I do think you'd be a little on the cynical side on that. Um, I, I don't think he loved it here. I don't think he hated it, right? Like, it was a job. It was an opportunity. He certainly chose Chicago over Dallas because the Mavs basically told him he was going to be a 12th, 13th, 14th man, whatever, um, and just hang out with Luca. He says, well, here's Chicago. I can be on the second unit, um, have a reserve role. And then I think what happened was Pat Bev came in. The writing been on the wall a little bit, obviously, because as soon as kind of the trade deadline passed, like they were tied to Russell Westbrook, tied to Patrick Beverly. Like it felt like something was coming. I think he knew that. Kind of had a hip injury, probably in that situation where like my hip kind of hurts right now. Let's start worrying about my future. So I, I don't think Goran Dragic has had a point in his career, and nor was he important enough to the Bulls to be like, I have this philosophical disagreement with how this organization operates. I need to get out of town. There were certainly things that bothered him. That's why he spoke up in the locker room when Zach Levine and some of the others weren't playing defense well enough in the ugly loss to Minnesota in December. But more right now, I think it was more his role than anything else and trying to find somewhere where he can win at a higher level, probably. All right, one more thing I'm asking you. to I'm, I'm going to be on the couch, and you're going to be the therapist in this situation. Okay. Am I seeing what I think I'm seeing with Patrick Williams? Because I feel like I'm watching a more aggressive, like when he goes to the basket over the last couple of weeks, I feel like he's going to the basket with bad intentions. Kind of got that... Uh... Lowry Markinen juice in him. Remember? Uh-huh. Lowry would try to dunk from about 19 feet away and I'm miss a lot of I'm fine with them. that. We got frustrated in Chicago, but um, Patrick Williams has gone to the hole hard a lot lately, so I like that from him. Um, I, I think you're right. I think you're right to be encouraged, but like again, we've talked about this. You just We've reconfigured expectations a little bit. He's not going to be a 36-minute um, above-average starting power forward right now in his career, but if you're looking for things to be optimistic about, that's one of them, right? Like, he has attacked very hard. It kind of feels like he's settled into a role a little bit where, like, he can score 10 or 14 points off the bench and be maybe not the number one guy in that unit because Zach or DeMar is almost always on the floor, but be the second guy on it. Seems like he likes playing with Io and Kobe, which he gets to do a little bit more of on the second unit, certainly. Now, the second unit was why the Bulls gave up a lead late in the first quarter and struggled early in the fourth quarter. So, like, we need to separate Patrick Williams here a little bit from the entire unit. But within the framework of what he's doing there, I like it. I thought he was one of the Bulls' best defenders for much of last night as well. I think that's why Billy played him almost into the final minute, basically, of the game after benching him um, in crunch time for most of, what, the first three games or so that Patrick Beverly was here and had Alex Crusoe at the power forward a little more. So it felt like Billy liked what he saw last night. And yeah, again, if we reconfigure expectations a little bit, I I think it's okay um, to be optimistic about how he's playing with the second unit, again, just... Got to lower those expectations because we've seen he's swung and missed at the top of them, it feels like. Well, it also looks like to me that Io is is seeing the writing on the wall, too. Like, he brought in another, another guard. There's, there's like a growing sentiment of a lot of us talking about how Kobe White is standing out. 
And when I say growing sentiment, like it doesn't matter what fans and media members say necessarily for choices, but you bring up the topic to Billy Donovan and he has just really high praise for Kobe White lately on a number of occasions affecting games in different ways. So like you said, it's not just Patrick Beverly challenging Io. Now it's like Io is challenged by Kobe as well, right? Just because Kobe's playing at a higher level right now. Cody, thanks so much for jumping in and coming to hang out and talk Bulls with us. The work on 670thescore.com is always phenomenal. Follow this man on Twitter at Cody Westerlin. Thank you, sir. Yep. Good time. That is Cody Westerlin, our Bulls beat reporter here at The Score. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the Jalen Carter situation, what the effect that this might have on the combine, and obviously the draft. We will do that next here on The Score. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I mean, I think that's possible that, you know, the the description in the uh, in the police report is that, that, that these two cars were were racing down the street, uh, four-lane street, but, but you know, not a, not an open highway by any stretch of the imagination through, this, through the city of Athens um, late at night, but still. And they, they were uh, uh, going on the wrong side of the road at times, trying to pass each other. So there were other, you know, other cars coming. So it was a pretty, pretty chaotic, kind of crazy situation. That is the voice of Alan Judd. Judd writes for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the major newspaper of the South. And he was on with Mully and Haw talking about Jalen Carter. Carter, if you didn't know, Carter was at the Combine. Was the, the arrest warrant was issued. He left the Combine, went down there, talked to the police, posted bail, then came back to the Combine I'm guessing to finish up the interviews. This is um, an interesting case of of what to do because the the human element of it is that two people died, and I've seen some people in the replies here. And, and look, I I'm not a fool. I don't I don't think that it's necessarily representative of a, a larger audience. But some people have raised the idea of. Let's say that you were tantalized by Jalen Carter. And let's say that you were willing to forgive him being in a situation where he was driving recklessly and racing. The idea that after the accident happened that he just left it. When they were members of the Georgia football family that were involved in the accident. Does that not fall into a question of character? Now, I don't have the answer for it. I'm just positing the question. I will say that you know when we talked about this for the Bears, what this does for the Bears, it messes things up a little bit for them. Because right now, as much as Carter is going to say, and he said in his statement that he would be exonerated, they can't count on his availability until we get a lot further along inside of this process. Part of the reason that I said and have said over the last few weeks, like don't attach yourself to players is not necessarily because of something like this, but it's on the list of things 
that, that, that I have is a don't attach yourself to a player. The board shifts. Things change. And it might not turn out the way that you expected it to turn out. Like the draft board itself might not turn out that way. This draft is fascinating to me because obviously the quarterback talent is interesting. Like each one of these quarterbacks is interesting, but also flawed. Although there's not, I don't actually honestly see a ton of flaws in CJ Stroud. Like he's got the size, strength, speed, arm talent combo. I guess if you wanted to quibble, you could say, well, look at the wide receivers that he had to throw to. Will Levis, to me, is, I know that there were injuries and his offensive line was bad. Your team was ranked ninth, and you finished with seven wins or whatever it was. That's not great for me. Bryce Young is small, and the NFL is terrified at how small he is because they're seeing Tua who's significantly bigger than Bryce being ragdolled, and they're worried that Bryce Young is not going to be able. There's no question about his skill. I think Florio said it earlier. If he were three inches taller and 15 pounds heavier, he'd be the clear consensus number one pick. And then there's Anthony Richardson. And Anthony Richardson, that dude has all of Anthony Richardson is the guy that gets you fired. Because he's got all the things. And when you see him throw, you're going to be like, oh, my God. That guy's got all the things. But he's raw. So it could end up being your greatest draft pick. Or the one that gets you fired. Because you were the one standing on the table going, no. We got to take them in the top ten. We don't want to pass on a talent like this. Goodbye, Toledo. Goodbye, Toledo. Goodbye, Toledo, indeed. But hey, the Baltimore Ravens, a few years ago, were like, we can't pass on that guy. We got the guy with all the traits. We got to take him. That guy ends up being a league MVP. And they're going to have to decide how much money they want to spend on him. The interesting part for me about this draft is I look at it and see it as a draft that has a bunch of really good players. But the the good players are in the top 50. And unfortunately, right now, The Bears only have one pick in the top 50. It's the first pick, which I hope that they turn into a plethora of picks. And maybe you get the swap and you get a second round pick because the Chase Claypool thing is significant. We haven't spent enough time talking about it in the context of what you gave up you essentially gave up a first-round pick for Chase Claypool. And I don't know about you, but that eight-game sample was not inspiring at all. But back to the Bears and back to them being at the top of this draft and looking for a trade partner. Chris Ballard 
is kind of all over the place when it comes to the desire of the Indianapolis Colts. See if you can decipher inside of lying season what he's trying to do. One, and I know this is coming up because I know all the speculation out there. One, to move up, you there's got to be a guy worthy of it. Okay? I know everybody in the in America is going to say, like, this is what's great right now. Everybody has just automatically stamped that you've got to move up to one to get it right. I, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't. And But that's going to be the narrative. And that's okay. Y'all got to write something. You got to keep the news flowing. So, but I don't necessarily know if that's the, I don't know if that's the, the right course of business. If when we meet as a staff and we say, okay, this is what we need to do. This is the guy for the next 10 to 15 years. And we think he's the right guy. Sure. We'll do it. But who's to say we won't get one at four. How do you look at that? Just generally, just making an aggressive move like that. What would that require for you to make that decision? That, that we were just convicted that this is no freaking doubt, the guy. Okay, so here's my thing, Chris. Yes, it is possible that you can get the guy that you like at number four. There's enough quarterbacks on the board where you might be able to get the guy that you want, okay? But, the way to ensure that you get the guy that you want and the Texans who are in your division don't get the guy that you want because it might be the guy that they want is for you to jump up and get the number one pick. Now, I'm not trying to do a sell job for the Bears. I'm just trying to work through this logically. Sure, you, you could be sitting there at number four and Will Levis could be right there for you. And you go, yeah, we really want this quarterback who eats bananas with the peels on it. You ever seen that video, Ray? You've never seen the video, Will? I remember you talking about it. I'm going to look this up right now because I've been meaning to, to look at this thing because that is bizarre. It is a little bizarre. But, I mean, maybe he needs the fiber. I'm okay with that. But, yes, Will Levis eats bananas with the skin on it. It's very strange. But, again, he might need the fiber. Never know. Might be a little backed up. Place, not that, not that talent. Oh. Right. Exactly. Yeah, there's no question about it. No question about it. No question about it. Mike Rankin always on time. He's not always there when you call. <laughs> it wouldn't be the Bernstein and Holmes show without fart jokes. Hey, man, this is disgusting to me. I'll eat, I love bananas, but the, the peel, I mean, this is this is a, a browned banana, so it's yeah. a lot softer. A little sweeter, too. A lot sweeter, but yeah. Yeah, it's a banana bread banana right. that, that he is eating with the skin on it. That alone would knock him off of my draft board. Keep it. Then again, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be so cold-hearted because the best quarterback in the league puts ketchup on steak. Right? Like that's a that's a party foul. Like that's that's a fireable offense. So maybe Will Levis is the next Patrick Mahomes because he eats bananas with the skin on it. It does get and Texer points this out. 
you could trade down twice if Bananas. you're the Bears. I love them. Les did love them. Got a lot of potassium in them. You need that. But yeah, the Bears could be in a position now because of the uncertainty about Jalen Carter. They could be in a position to trade down twice. Like, maybe you do trade down to four, and then maybe Carolina is like, hey, can we talk to you about the fourth pick? And you're like, you sure can, because we need more picks, and we have needs everywhere. That's another reason why I was like, don't, don't attach yourself to a player, because the Bears need help everywhere. And they got to try and find it in the draft. So... This story is going to continue. I'm fascinated by the fact that Jalen Carter went back to the combine. I figured he'd be like, well, that's enough for me. We'll figure all this stuff out. You guys can talk to me at my pro day, whether the pro day is going to be at the University of Georgia or if I'm going to have a private pro day because they don't want me to come back to the University of Georgia. We shall see. We need to take a break. Mike has something for us. I don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. I'm not sure Ray knows what it is. Oh, I know what it is. I think we can reveal it's, uh, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the NCAA tournament. And uh, a lot on the line these days. And the pressure may get to certain people. Is this Bruce Pearl? Yeah. Oh, you're going to love it. It's next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Station, station, station. Before we get to Bruce Pearl, I wanted to hand out a hearty congratulations to my niece, Asia Davis, Northern Illinois University. Last night, she recorded another double-double. She's the queen of double-doubles. She has 51 career double-doubles at NIU. She was named MAC Player of the Week this past week, and now she is the career record holder for double-doubles at Northern Illinois University with 51. So, she's got another year of eligibility. I wonder what she's going to do. Because she's going to finish her degree at Northern, but all the COVID kids get an extra year. So, she can go play ball somewhere else if she wants to. But congratulations to Asia. She's a dominant force in the middle for the Huskies basketball team and. I went went out there on Saturday for senior day, and it was awesome. I got a chance to kick it with Sean Frazier, the athletic director at NIU. It was great to talk with him. Um, He was like, hey, you're here? I was like, yeah. He's like, come on down. So I went and talked to him courtside. And Every time I've gone out to DeKalb, it doesn't matter, like, what administration I'm under. I'm treated really well. Even Bill Baker – Goodbye, Toledo. Shout out to my man, Andy Garcia, who used to be our sports director here. He does play-by-play for Northern, but it was really, really good. So congratulations to Asia, and no matter what she chooses to do next, whether it's pro ball or go back to college, she will be successful at it. Now, for the other side of college basketball, obviously there's a lot of news swirling around the University of Alabama's basketball program. They had their grudge game with Auburn yesterday, and, well, things were going great for Auburn, and then they weren't going great for Auburn, and then Auburn lost. And then this happened 
with Bruce Pearl on the Auburn Sports Radio Network. You know, obviously they made some made some plays. We had a hard time staying in front of them at the end of the day. Um, I'm just sick and tired of our guys getting smashed down there. Smashed! Talk about the, the, the final possession in, in regulation, Coach. Um, you had the ball with about 25 seconds to go. Yep, we got a middle ball screen. Wendell got a good look. Their guys, uh, you know, had a clean one. That would have been a great, you know, great way to end it. What defensively were you able to do tonight um, in over a good portion of the game against this Alabama offense? Played hard. Played physically. Message. Just we played hard. It played well. You know, if, if that's the number one team in the country, you know, come on the road, hostile environment. You know, but we needed that one to get the NCAA, and we, and we didn't get it. Dylan Cardwell's hurt. He's probably not going to play against um, Tennessee because of his injury. We need his physicality. He got, he got fouled down there at the, uh, uh, in, in, at the end of the game. So, <laughs> Coach, just talk about what, what Saturday represents now. Oh, just we'll get ready to play Tennessee. We were, we were incredibly outmanned at the end. At three, four guys on the bench in foul trouble. Joke! Joke. <laughs> Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl joining us. <laughs> that, he went one question too far and he got the great reaction. There's Bruce Pearl for I'm you. I'm sick and tired of our guys getting smashed down there. Yeah! Smashed! See, maybe Billy Donovan needs to go into the Bulls locker room with that energy. Maybe. After one of these games like yesterday. Hulk smashed down there. I'm just sick and tired of our guys getting smashed down there. Smashed. That is great. Parkinson Spiegel, join me next here on The Score. Roll damn time, baby. 